Hi, welcome to the Healing Growth Podcast. The podcast that talks about healing trauma in an African context. My name is Saiton Riga, and today we're talking about what healing growth is and how I landed here. The year is 1996, and there's a little girl in a house with a flurry of activity. She sort of, kind of knows what is happening, but not quite. Her mother is leaving. Not just leaving, but going to another country. She's seen the dark blue passport, and she even has one for herself. She's supposed to be sent for later on when her mother can. Her uncles and aunts are in the house, helping to carry suitcases that have her mother's clothes and gifts like chai for the relatives who will host her mother. She gets a deep sinking feeling. There's no one she can tell. She can see her mother rushing around, making sure that she doesn't forget anything. Soon, they gather in the sitting room and pray, and it's time to say goodbye. Both mother and daughter embrace and start crying. The little girl soon has to let her go, and she watches her mother leave the room and into the car that's waiting for her. She's left in the house with some of the relatives while others go into the car to take her mother to the airport. The sinking feeling is still there. It's a feeling that says more than she can voice. She's crying uncontrollably like it is a death. This feeling and fear tells her that she will never see her mother again. Today is the inaugural podcast for Healing Growth. I'll talk about how it came to be, what I hope for it, and the aim of this is to spark your thinking and lead you to healing and growth. The more I've become aware of trauma, the more I've seen how it surrounds us in so many ways. But I truly believe we can heal. And this is about my roadmap to healing and to let you into a little bit of the behind the scenes. The story you heard at the beginning is actually my story. The feeling was true in the sense that I didn't see my mother again in my childhood. I met her again in person when I was 29, and this was 20 years later, a few hours before my wedding. As I wrote the story to the best of my recollection, I didn't realize it at first, but I started feeling anxious. My entire body was highly strung, And I could feel myself reliving those events just as if I was that little girl again. In real life, however, I'm a mother and I'm a wife. And in that same day, I could, I was impatient with my son. There's a bit of a push and a pull where I was being inflexible before I realized what was actually going on. It is said that we're all the ages we once were. So right now, Inside you is a five-year-old, the 10-year-old, and the 21-year-old. What we don't realize is that sometimes, because real-life situations trigger us, we don't respond with our current age and understanding and maturity, but the age that we have reverted to and the maturity of that level. This is why sometimes we have large and outsized reactions to seemingly small things, And we don't always unravel why we react like that. We've by and large learned how to say that this is how I am without understanding why we are that way and whether it's beneficial to us and to our loved ones 
and whether there's a better way of doing things. For me, once I realized what was going on, I took some time to, I guess the word is reassure myself and comfort myself and remind myself that I'm no longer that nine-year-old little girl. I'm not in that situation anymore. And that now I have the tools and the things that I need to recover from things as they happen. Most of us have heard of um, PTSD, which is defined as post-traumatic stress disorder. It's an anxiety disorder with triggers that come with intense emotional and physical reactions to reminders of events. It develops as a result of traumatic, physical, emotional, mental, or life-threatening events. Something else that I later on learned of is something called CPTSD, complex PTSD which is a result of continual exposure to traumatic events and usually what happens to children who are exposed to long-term or recurring exposure to traumatic events such as childhood abandonment and neglect, domestic violence, child abuse, sexual abuse, and wider events such as war, torture, sex trafficking, or slavery. You're also more likely to develop CPTSD if you experience trauma at a young age. And also if you are harmed by someone close to you who you trusted and you were unable to escape the trauma. Now, I got this information from the NHS website. One of the things that has been an issue is that CPTSD is not recognized in what is called the DSM. DSM is Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders published by the American Psychiatric Association. So the American Psychiatric Association is by and large what a lot of um, people in the mental health practice look to when they're looking to figure out how people are dealing, what they're suffering from. And what this means is that not there's some people who don't have an understanding of, of CPTSD. And what I would like to say is whether or not it is there, we need to find wider ways of explaining and helping people process what they're going through. Interestingly, the WHO has a detailed definition of CPTSD, and it had a couple of interesting facts that they added that I only found out as I was doing the research. So it says, complex PTSD is characterized by severe and persistent problems in affect regulation, beliefs about oneself are diminished, defeated, or worthless, accompanied by feelings of shame, guilt, or failure related to the traumatic event. Is difficulties in sustaining relationships and feeling and in feeling close to others. These symptoms cause significant impairment in personal, family, social, educational, occupational, and other important areas of functioning. Quite the mouthful. But as you internalize what it means and what it says, I know for some of us, you are able to see yourself or others that we love in that. Um, here's a little bit more what they say about it. The core elements of PTSD, CPTSD, means that you can re-experience a traumatic event, not just in remembering it, but it occurring in the form of vivid intrusive memories or images, flashbacks, which are mild to severe, complete loss of awareness of present surroundings, repetitive dreams or nightmares, which are thematically related to the traumatic events. 
and the re-experiencing is typically accompanied by strong and overwhelming emotions such as fear, horror, as well as strong physical sensations. And it can leave you feeling overwhelmed or immersed in the same intense emotions that were experienced in the traumatic event, just like how I felt when I was writing that experience. One of the ways that people deal with these things when we are unaware is that we avoid reminders likely to produce the re-experiencing of the traumatic event. So this may take the form of active internal avoidance of thoughts and memories related to the event, external avoidance of people, conversations, activities or situations that mimic that. And in extreme cases, people may change environment by moving house or moving jobs to avoid the reminders. Another thing is something called hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is basically you're super aware of every little thing and your body reacts by getting extremely startled to unexpected noises and you're constantly on guard. And what happens sometimes is that you adopt new behaviors to ensure your safety. For example, not sitting with your back to the door, repeated checking of your rear view mirror, just things that you're always on guard. And it is a very crazy way to live. But many of us have just incorporated these things into our daily lives without understanding what exactly it is and how much it affects us and even how to undo some of these things. So my hope is that you can read more and find out more about CPTSD. I would say find a therapist. It's always very helpful to find a therapist who is trained in developmental trauma, who is trained in handling CPTSD to help you unravel the things that cause this, your reactions and adaptations to to them at the time and currently, and whether they're helpful for you or not. One of the things that we don't always understand is that these reactions helped save us when we needed them. But at some point, you don't need them anymore. But we don't know how to lay them down and develop the new habits and the new reactions or to things that we face now. For example, when you're in a situation of constant trauma, hypervigilance helps you because it helps you be on guard and it helps you avoid the trauma reoccurring. But hypervigilance, when you're in a peaceful relationship, a peaceful place, it doesn't, it literally works against you. And so one of the things about healing growth is that I want people to realize that you're not always in the same situation you were in. And now it's time to gather the new tools and the new habits that will help you for where you are now. It's something that I've had to learn. Um, It's been a lot of work. And I'm still on the journey. But I want to encourage people that it is possible. I'd like to talk about one of my most difficult symptoms, or one of the things that has been a difficult symptom, emotional flashbacks. One of the leading voices in CPTSD is Pete Walker, a therapist who did experience CPTSD, and he's written books on it with his most famous title being Surviving to Thriving, 
He was my first introduction to emotional flashbacks. So it is, I have described it to you. One of the other things that happens is the intense emotional heaviness of it. You feel like you're in danger. You feel like you're hopeless. You feel like you're helpless. And whatever you felt at that age is then repeated. But because you were a child, you often couldn't escape. But as an adult, you still feel that helplessness. And it's overwhelming, very, very overwhelming. As I was writing about this and researching, it brought back memories of the year that I feel like I had the most intense emotional flashbacks. I became a mother five years ago. And if you're in Kenya, you know our elections are every five years. So five years ago, we had an election. And it was also the year that I became a mother. I can say almost from the beginning that I had this very intense fear. And I couldn't figure out where it came from. I loved my son, always have, always will continue to do so. But I had this very intense fear almost from the very beginning that I couldn't explain. And it was a feeling of impending doom. And how I rationalized it was that it was connected to the coming elections. However, looking back, I can see quite clearly it was an emotional flashback. I still haven't figured out what exactly the event in my own life that triggered it, but I can't say how I experienced it. I kept feeling, I kept having nightmares that, you know, the country would collapse and that we'd be refugees. I'd be a refugee with my newborn escaping with my husband. I was arguing online for my candidate, arguing with everything because I truly felt like this was life or death. And it completely colored how I saw the world and how I interacted with everyone because I was carrying this intense fear and this intense feeling of impending doom. Needless to say, none of this happened. And when I think about it now and I watch people online, I wonder if we have realized that as a country, we actually do have a lot of trauma around elections. Many of us from childhood, I mean, there's people who have been post-election violence victims. I have a friend who was sent to boarding school because of fears of violence around election time. And when I see sometimes the kinds of things that people are saying, I really wonder if how much of it is grounded in the reality of now and how much is grounded in the trauma that they have experienced. This episode will probably air after the elections. And usually after the elections, there's relief, there's fear, there's pain. But hardly ever do I see people processing what this roller coaster of emotions that it has brought up has done to them and to their relationships and to their state of mind. It is my hope that at some point we will actively seek to deal with the things that elections brings up for us as a country. One of the things that I learned from Pete Walker that about emotional flashbacks is that when fear is a dominant emotion, that you feel overwhelmed and panicky and even suicidal. When despair predominates, it creates a sense of profound numbness, paralysis, and an urgent need to hide. Feeling small, young, fragile, powerless, and helpless is also common in emotional flashbacks. And these experiences are typically overlaid with toxic shame, 
which as described in John Bradshaw's The Healing the Shame That Binds, it completely destroys your individual sense of self-esteem with an overpowering sense that you're worthless, stupid, contemptible, or fatally flawed. Sometimes this comes from how you are viewed by your original caregivers. And this toxic shame stops the person from seeking comfort, support, and is often a reenactment of the childhood abandonment that you're flashing back to. And it isolates you in an overwhelming and humiliating sense of defectiveness. I didn't really tell people what was going on with me. I didn't know how to explain it. There was all of these feelings in the background, and yet I was showing up at work. I was showing up as a mom, as a friend, as a wife. I didn't know how to explain this to the people who loved me the most. I didn't know how to even break it down. I'm a person that researches a lot, and it probably took me maybe two years to finally land on CPTSD and to finally be able to understand what was going on with me and to begin unraveling. And this time I did seek therapy, um, maybe two, three, a couple of therapists. But my understanding was that not all therapists are able or as quick to identify CPTSD. And so you can get all the tools like do this, do that. But if you haven't unraveled the root cause of it, these tools don't really help you in the moment. I kept feeling helpless. I kept feeling this fear. I think it took, it was almost two years before I came out of the intensities of the flashbacks. And to date, I'm not even entirely sure what happened and how I got out. I do know I was still intensely loved in this period by my husband and my friends. I was prayed for, and the ones who were willing to listen listened to me. I mean, there was backlash from some people because they couldn't understand why I had changed so much. But what I see now and what I'm extremely grateful for is the patience and the love with which my community held me. It's not very easy to to go through these things when you're feeling like this and still be able to accept that people love you and they still care for you. But it is a reminder that sometimes what you're going through is not the entire picture. You're worthy, you're valuable, you're treasured, and you're loved, even though you don't feel like it. One of the other things that I learned, and this took me a long time to learn, is that when you start feeling these way, this way, you need to start asking yourself questions. What is making you really angry? What is making you cry? What is making you livid? What is making you feel insecure? And what is making you feel afraid? The feelings are real, but the reason may not be what is in front of you. It often is rooted in other times that you felt like this. And something that has happened in your reality now has triggered you into the fear but this situation might not be the exact same one as the other one. For me, I'm safe. I'm loved. But there were so many things that inadvertently were triggering me back into the flashbacks that I didn't understand. I'm thankful that it happened because had it not happened, I would never have realized that I was carrying all of this in my body, in my mind, in my soul, in my spirit. I would never have realized that all my 
ideas of being a functional human, while true, were not the entire truth. That I was still carrying a lot of pain from those 20 years. And I was still carrying a lot of memories and a lot of unprocessed things in me. A lot of times when you're in this moment, you start to spiral. And it starts with one thought that you tell yourself or that appear, a thought that comes to you about how worthless you are or how unworthy or how you made a mistake and how you did not make the right decision. And it's followed by another and another and another, building up to a scenario of bad things and increasing the fear. I had to learn to stop it. But I want to say that depending on where you are, this could sound like Greek. But I want to encourage you, the more you start the healing journey, the more capacity you begin to get to implement tools. While the tool might be unreachable and feel unreasonable at first, it's possible to get to a place where it's actually useful. I like to think of it as incremental progress, so a little by little by little. So stopping the spiral looks different for different people. It could be something like visualizing a big no sign. It could be saying no to yourself. For me, it came in the form of a Bible verse. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of sound mind. Every single time I feel that fear in the pit of my stomach, I've learned to recite it. Um, and I keep repeating it until I can feel my body calm down enough for me to access the thinking that comes with calm. It's very easy when you're in a flashback to act on instinct and fear and there's an urgency that comes with it. And you almost feel like if I don't do this now, if I don't... All of that a lot of times is tied to the triggers and the emotions of the past. It's useful when you're in danger, but the danger that we feel and experience you're having now doesn't always match. So it is, and I have learned to calm down. That was not something that I instinctively knew how to do in the past, but it's a thing that I've been able to learn. The next thing around after, after the stopping is thought sub substitution, a.k.a. reminding yourself of the good things, the things that are true, the things that are facts. We rarely go into the spirals of the good things, which then shows you how destructive the spiral of the bad things are. If they're all equal and the same, we'd, we'd have both of them. But we often have only the one that destroys and not this other one. But you can reverse the negative thought spirals with establishing the truth in your soul. For me, I have a list of affirmations that I can go to. If, that, if I'm not in the space of mind to do that, I talk to my loved ones, the ones who remind me and reassure me of the good and the truth. I think Brené Brown has done some work on this and she calls it shame resiliency. Later on when I'm calmer is to go back and reassure myself that I'm no longer in that place that I am safe now, I am loved, I am cared for. And just to let you know, I don't always do these things. And there are, defini there are definitely many other steps that I haven't got to and I haven't um, achieved. But this is a beauty of learning and growing. 
put in one tool on top of another. I think James Clear calls it habit stacking. So you master one habit, and once you've mastered that, when you add another one onto it, that is so that they can work together. And it's slow progress, but it's progress nonetheless. This is why I call this podcast and all the ventures around it healing growth. My experience has been as you heal, there's space for more growth and to access the parts of you that had been bound by the trauma. It's possible to grow. And as adults, we have access to information and tools that we did not have as children. We have autonomy to make decisions, but we need to realize first that we actually have the freedom to make different choices. Our journeys won't be the same, but I hope sharing what I've shared will help break down the many small steps and that the information that I've shared will just be a gateway for you to start researching and start finding more of what works for you. My prayer for all of us is that we find healing and growth. Thank you for listening to the Healing Growth Podcast. You can find us on Instagram as healing.growth and on Facebook as Healing Growth. If you're interested in getting the full write-up from Pete Walker on managing emotional flashbacks, message us either on Facebook or Instagram. Also, we'd love to hear about your experience. So please message us your ways of dealing with emotional flashbacks. Thank you for listening and please share this podcast with your friends and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. My name is Saiton Riga from Healing Growth. Bye-bye.